The upcoming expositions surrounding hags have been written as if the players in this fictional campaign are reflecting upon their past events. These reflections are brought on by the surroundings of the players on their final approach to their ultimate foray into extraordinary danger. We at Encounter This would like to express a content and trigger warning for these expositions. They may contain dark themes and imagery, including, but not limited to, outdated cultural opinions, adult content, sexuality, child abuse, gore, and violence that may be uncomfortable for some audience members. Listener discretion is advised. The shadows of this strange, otherworldly forest appear gaunt. You occasionally catch one moving or writhing out of the corner of your eye. The crunch of each long-dead leaf, like the air around you, not only sounds muted, it feels muted. As you march forward, you know what's happening, no matter how hard you try to put it out of your minds. Somehow, in some way, you are slowly walking through a long and drawn-out portal to the lower planes. A fact you needed to know, or you would not be here. A fact you wish you never discovered, so that you would not be here. That thought settles in your minds. You really do wish you did not need to be here. The slow passage between planes doesn't feel right in that it is unsettlingly tangible. As such, you, Posey, can't help but reflect on the truly tangible for a moment drawing your mind closer and closer to how this all started. A birthday party. The sentence starts to form in your thoughts, as if spoken aloud. A birthday party is where it all started. Boy, oh boy, the air was a buzz. Our quaint little fishing town didn't have many birthdays to celebrate. There just wasn't that many of us, but this one was special. A tradition for as long as anyone could remember and old enough that none recalled how it started. The 13th birthday of a young man or woman meant passage into adulthood. The celebrations began three days before, and Craycatcher's Bounty sure knew how to celebrate. A fine feast would be served from dawn till dusk, along with our finest stores of scallop wine and kelp stout. A revelry we like to think could match any those bigwig city folks was used to. Something else was special about that day as well, if largely ignored. Amy Craycatcher, or Twiggy, as she liked to be called, was the maid of the hour. A troublesome girl. A real rabble-rouser. Daughter of the mayor, she was always kicking up a fuss. But not that stereotypical kind, you see. Far from spoiled she was. That bastard of a father of hers took his hand to her far too often. The folks of Craycatcher's Bounty spent their time preparing celebrations for so-called Troublemaker in the same fashion which with they regarded the many bruises over the many years little Twiggy endured. I am now ashamed to admit I was among them in the regard of shared disregard. I remember the morning I approached the town to do my part. Harry was already stringing up posters and placards. Harry, a companion to the last, in every sense of the word, my companion. You snap back to reality. The image, no, not just an image, the unmistakable presence of one Harold Holler, Harry to you and those who knew him best, is all around you. You swear you just saw him. It was out of the corner of your eye, but most things are in this place, and it was the most full and detailed image you have seen in a long time. Your thoughts back in the present, you well up with embarrassment when you realize you're the one leading the party and you've definitely lost track of where you're going. Posey, roll a survival check. Hey there, creatures, and welcome to Encounter This, a podcast exploration of the creatures from Dungeons and & Dragons and the lore that surrounds them. Good day, creatures, and welcome to Encounter This, I am your co-host, Freeman Hocus Eisten, and I am joined today by my friend and colleague, James Pocus Kid, And he is going to talk to us about sea hags today. But before we get started on that, I think it's important to note that this has turned into a big project. This is Haguary. Haguary. <laughs> this was an idea that we birthed pretty early on in the... 
construction of the format and stuff of our show. And we knew it would be a big project. It kind of turned into my big project, which is then going to turn into James' yeah. big editing project. I'm lucky enough that Freeman took the reins on the front half. <laughs> um, I've rearranged the format of this show several times. I've spent the better, better part of the last month and a half to two months writing and rewriting expositions. Uh, we have some friends joining us uh, doing some voice work with us. So it's, uh, it's turned into quite the ordeal. Um, it's been a big exhausting, and to be honest, we're just barely scratching the surface as we speak now. Yeah, and a big thank you to Allie Ingram for her voice work in the intro of this week's episode. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, she did a great job. We banged that out in about an hour, and it was it was so awesome. I, I remember being so excited when we finished it. Uh, but to start off, uh, just bear with us. We won't go too much detail about the, the change in the format. Bear with us. We are going to be releasing weekly uh, for these next five episodes, and we are starting with one of James's favorites, the Sea Hags. Uh, they can be found in the Monster Manual, page 176 and 179. And some of this information is also found in Volo's Guide to Monsters, uh, basically around page 52 to 62 and page 159 to 160. Um, but uh, we're going to start with a general lore of hags in, in general. I worded that great. Go ahead, James. <laughs> yeah. So I, I do really like the sea hags. Out of all the hags, I think they're my favorite. I have a penchant for things, all things ocean-wise. I you love. You mean a penchant? Penchant de mer. Wait. Wait. Let's. Nope. Let's. Let's try not to get racially offensive okay. right off the bat. I'm uh, Yeah. He. Yep. To for those of you who don't know, the province of New Brunswick has two official languages, including Quebecois French and. North no, American English. Acadian French. My, thank you very much. Not Quebecois. <laughs> I, th- I think we're saying the same thing. <laughs> you tell that to the Acadians. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. And this has been Canadian Cultural History. I've been your host, James. Uh, thank you for joining us for Sea Hags. That'll be all. <laughs> That'll mostly found around the New Brunswick area. <laughs> I don't even know where we were. In the Bay of Fundy. The There's Bay of plenty Fundy. of sea hags. Yeah. We're having Fundy here, I'll tell you that. Oh, no. That's, that's, a, that's a James original. No oh, one's ever made that joke oh, before. Oh, okay. Well, that went off the rails real quick. Faster than the Etten's one. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so today we are talking about sea hags. As previously stated, they are one of my favorite of the hags. I do enjoy undersea things uh not limited including but not limited to uh richard attenborough's blue planet specifically the deep oceans episode love that shit love the sound of the ocean amazing love snorkeling scuba diving all that stuff but today we're talking about mythical sea creatures mythical is not the right word fictional sea creatures (laughs) we're going to start with some general lore about sea hags they are just hags in general or just hags in general (laughs) If you like, if you please. Oh, my God. We should just restart this. <laughs> we can. Hags are ancient beings with their origins in the Feywild, but are traditionally considered sores upon the material plane. Don't want them here. Sores. Sores, yep. That is verbatim. Wow. Yeah, they're they are not, not they're much maligned. Uh, traditionally, they have long withered phases with hook nose, moles, warts, uh, blotchy skin, and long skinny fingers topped with claws. I, I take I take a lot of issue with a lot of the stuff we're going to cover under the general lore section here because it all gets kind of all gets wiped out when we get into the more specific stuff. Mm-hmm. So this was clearly written before they realized that hags were going to be a real fucking thing in D anD. d Yeah, uh, but they possess intense magical power and they can alter their forms. They reproduce by stealing and eating human babies. Then a week later, they give birth to a human-looking daughter. Gets dark real fast. Yeah, these. Listen, guys, hags. That that disclaimer at the front is gonna is just gonna keep going through. They're these are bad. They make me uncomfortable. I do not like role playing hags. I I they're they're so problematic. And just so all of our listeners are aware, those who aren't particularly familiar with D anD D, we when we talk about them are going to exclusively refer to them as females. That is not our choice. That is a choice that Dungeons and Dragons, Wizards of the Coast has made. There are no male hags. They only ever take on a female form. They only ever take on a female form. So I want to get that clear right off the bat. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, sometimes they then raise these daughters as their own or return them to the grieving parents only to watch their horror as the daughter grows up. Upon said daughter's 13th birthday, they transform into the spitting image of their hag mother. Uh, hags love a bargain. They maintain contact with each other and share knowledge. They don't really seem to like each other, but they have an ageless code of conduct. Uh, they announce themselves before they enter another's territory. They bring gifts. They do not break oaths to other hags. All of these things will be covered in more detail as the episodes go on. We just want to cover the basics that uh, are mentioned in the Monster Manual uh, to start, and then a lot of them are uh, further explained through Volo's Guide of Monsters and in and, and, uh, and various <laughs> excerpts. So there's tremendous more detail behind each of these, these facts. Yeah, each one of those points we tend to go into more detail about. There's some that we're not going to touch on. Like the the fact that they say they traditionally have long withered faces with hooked noses and like fuck that description. Make your hag look whatever you want yeah. it to look like. And I'm gonna I'm gonna destroy that with my next sentence. Alright. So sea hags oh, yeah. specifically have pallid skin, slimy scales, their hair resembles seaweed and covers their entire body. Their eyes are glassy and lifeless, similar to a doll. They tend to live in dismal and polluted lairs, specifically underwater usually surrounded by marrow and other aquatic monsters. Sea hags hate beauty. They seek it out and want to destroy it. Uh, when it becomes, when they see hope, they want to bring despair. When they see courage, they want to inspire fear. They are known as the ugliest of all the hags, which I also think is uh, contradicted later on in one of our, our mm -hmm. further episodes. And they can hide their true form under an illusion, but the illusion is still ugly. And I think that's where it comes into play. That's why they're the ugliest of all hags is because right. even their illusory form is still right. I ugly. think three to four out of the five types of hags can take under the, take on this form. I think the anise hag is the one exception, uh, but I, it is kind of cool that they are specified that even they cannot produce a beautiful image where the rest of them can, or at least a, a relatively like, you know, passable. Yeah. Passable. Yeah. A relatively passable uh, visage or image. Yeah, and uh, ugly, is, ugly is a subjective term, so I, I take issue Certainly, with that yeah. as well. But they're, they're really trying to hammer home the point that these are your traditional witches. Right. Like, these are your... These are your wicked witches of the West. Yeah, I, your... God, I hate that I said traditional witches. <laughs> I understand that witches are a thing that people identify with. These are your traditional fictional witches these are your halloween witches these oh, are your wicked witch Hansel of the east yeah yeah these are yeah. stereotypical is that the right Stere word i would say yeah stereotypical yeah we i don't want to i have friends who are wiccan so i really don't want to place any offense <laughs> sure. on that religion yeah. or belief it's more of a it's really the stereotype isn't in, in that it's physical yeah that physical uh, uh makeup of yeah. what they are not in the actual belief system or lower power exactly uh, yeah i, I want to make sure we separate that right off the top 100%. this is a cartoonish version of it and that cartoon is dark mm -hmm. uh so we're going to go into a subsection called ugly unpredictable and old and the number one thing i want you to take away from hags and general listeners are that they're mysterious and they're fucking dangerous they're traditionally unpredictable in their behavior verbatim from volo's guide to monsters is one day a hag might be stealing and eating children that wander into the woods on another day she might be making lewd jokes to adventurers asking her advice and the next she might be uprooting saplings to make a fence around her home for impaling intruders there's no real logic to these i mean there is a logic to these creatures but there's no stream of logic there's no consistency yeah they don't seem to have a rhyme or reason that sort of the average mortal would be able to sort of pinpoint i think is the idea they're going they do unsettling unnerving and unpredictable things that is their very nature absolutely uh they perceive ugliness as beauty Vice versa, except for sea hags, which seems to be the contradictory there, because we already went over that sea hags hate beauty, so they understand what beauty is. Here's what I thought was really interesting, is that f hags are almost never found in the fae court, the seely or unseely. One, I thought that was interesting because almost never is, is very interesting, mm -hmm. so hags are found in, in such courts. Second of all, I think that's possibly the only reference to the seely and unse unseely courts in the 5th edition reference, uh, in the 5th edition books I've seen so far. Yeah, off the top of my head, I feel like maybe it's mentioned surrounding the elves and Eldrin in Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes, but oh, I have maybe. not really dove into that myself. But my guess, if it's going to be somewhere, it'll probably be there. Uh, but I'm with you. It's basically the only reference I've ever 
come across in the fifth edition manuals. Yeah, I, I'm very familiar with them from the Jim uh, the Jim Butcher um, Harry Dresden books. Mm. But both these courts recognize that hags have knowledge and power, and some hags will alter their appearances to be a little bit more beautiful to be courtiers. But this is clearly not the norm as, as we've established, and they're totally fine living outside of the fake queen's whims. Yeah, I, I do remember. Uh, of course. I've, uh, Contradictory to our usual format, uh, I've done a lot of research rather than very little so that you can educate me. We both dove in pretty hard on this. I remember reading that uh, uh, it's often like maybe a younger uh, hag that is more likely to actually enter the court and change her visage. She kind of is still getting a feel for being this sort of mastermind creature of evil. uh, And they want to sort of uh, impress their other fake in in order to get something in return. Whereas the older ones, the ones that are more experienced, they just basically don't give a fuck about what they think. They walk in knowing that they have the upper hand on certain things. They have knowledge that, the, that these these courts want and they don't care what they think. Yeah, so that that's one of the, the later points is that okay. the oldest and wisest of the grandmother hags, so hags um, are, are regular hags, they're aunties, uh, aunties gain their status from serving a grandmother or leading a coven or even just age. Grandmothers are the oldest and wisest of hags, and they're nearly as powerful as the Archfey. And yeah. when we say Archfey, we mean, um, what are they? The lady, the queen, and the grandmother of the Seelie Courts. Mm-hmm. And the Unseelie Courts are the Archfey. So Powerful, powerful beings. And I think the fact of this suite for me is on Volo's Guide to Monsters, page 52, column 2, paragraph 4, line 1. Hags are virtually immortal. They have the lifespan greater than dragons and elves. Pretty crazy. That's insane. Yeah. These are not a people. These are not a race for all intents and purposes like dragons or elves would be or a lot of these uh, these other examples that you could give. They are very individual. There are very few of them. The fact that they can outlive uh, and often like do dragon, and often yeah. do like that's pretty narrow. They're We're talking for thousands of years, yeah, and they virtually immortal. Do not die, yeah, unless like, killed. <laughs> it's crazy, yeah. Even even if they're killed, you you never you never really know if you've killed it, which is I they're so unsettling. Yeah, they <laughs> really they are. are. Yeah, they really. I I think I feel like their whole design is just to make your skin crawl and. Dis- cause discomfort. And honestly, the more I read about them, the more it did. Oh, like, 100%. It's, I love a good dark macabre like environment much more than I know you do. Yeah. Like, you, I feel like a shower after I wrote each one of these episodes. Gritty. Like, it's gritty. And even for me, um, just sometimes it's just like, wow, like that is just, who comes up with this shit? That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and as we touched on, hags love a bargain. Do not bargain with a hag. Full disclaimer. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't just don't do it. They're arrogant <laughs> to a, yeah. Do it. <laughs> yeah. They're arrogant to a fault, believing themselves to be some of the most cunning creatures, so they're always open to making a deal, but they always, always wait for the desperate to come to them for a deal, even though the desperate people know that she's evil and dangerous. Like they don't fuck around. They don't they don't try and hide that they're terrible. They often go in thinking that this whatever it is I need done is unthinkable to uh to allow to continue like you know a loved one sick or something like that and you know you're gonna go make the darkest deal you can you're almost seeing it as the lesser of two evils yeah but you would be wrong or a jilted lover like a high emotional intensity Mm -hmm. um they they live to see the downfall of other people so their 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 main difference from devils is because they have no interest in harvesting souls but they want to just destroy this mortal that they made a deal with. They, they live to make people miserable. Mm-hmm. And when somebody comes to them out of desperation, the hags get to send, set their own terms. That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah. And normally, if somebody comes to you out of desperation, they're usually coming in secret, which adds to the pressure and time of the bargainer. So all of those things are just something else in her hand, which is... Not good. However, you are likely to get out in better shape if you have something the hag wants. You could even theoretically start a bidding war between members of a coven or local members. There are curious creatures by nature and enjoy gossip and news about other creatures with specifically long lifespans like dragons, demons, fae, genies, and they will openly barter with you for this knowledge. And if threatened, 
they will offer treasures and they'll bribe and they'll they'll do whatever they can to get out of that situation. You mean threatened as in like they they feel genuinely in danger, like yeah. they may not get out of it. Yeah, this hags situation. don't do combat really. Mm-hmm. So if if you put them in a combat situation, traditionally they will try and give you something to get out of it. Right. But you know, that item is probably cursed or damaged yeah. or broken in some way. They're they're going to try and destroy you. There's always going to be something subversive if they're asking you to do something for something in return, even if it's a physical object or, or some sort of intangible promise, there will always be some evil lurking behind it. Yeah. Even, I imagine, if they're in their own threatened state. I think especially. Mm-hmm. Um, they are, however, supposedly very respectful when dealing with the Fae because they also have long and powerful lives. And they're creatures of the hag's native realm. Hags, hags are fake creatures. We haven't touched on that yet. But so any anything that comes from the the fae wild or the realm of fae, or one of the courts, they're going to be a little more respectful of. Though they are still going to try and get the upper hand. Mm-hmm. So they are loath to offer a fair fair deal, and they hate coming out on the bottom. But if a deal does appear fair, they definitely have a secret agenda, uh, and they're always secretive about their motivations. Mm-hmm. They've been known to corrupt entire villages. Uh, leading villagers to sabotage or actively confront adventurers from acting against her because they're holding out that she'll undo a curse that she gave them or right, yeah. or complete a ritual or something mm-hmm. along those lines like they're they're just not not good hags it, hags and pr- bad it's it's such a such an interesting uh approach to evil they prey on the weak but they wait for the weak to come to them to be preyed on. And they openly do this. Yes. Like, it's, it is known. Like, this is what they do. Yeah. Um, and people still will go. Right? Yeah. When, when desperate times call for call for stupid decisions. <laughs> this, is, this is the utmost, utmost of stupid decisions. <laughs> so bad. I would like to make a small point, too. I love that they respect the other fae. But they have... No love for them whatsoever. They have a respect for them because they they probably just understand them. I understand their power and their longevity and 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 the value that they have because it's sort of representative of themselves. But they do not have any love for their kin. I like to think of it as a respect because they have something they want, which is knowledge. Mm. Knowledge is learned over time, and anything right. with a long lifespan deserves a little bit of reverence because they have something the hag wants, and that's some sort of information. Definitely, be that fae or dragon or genie. Mm. Uh, and I, you know what? I'm going to read an excerpt uh, that's written uh, in Volo's Guide to Monsters on page 59. It says, Hags hate to be in debt to someone who's done them a favor spontaneously outside of any bargain, and so will return favors unexpectedly to such folk. Uh, and this comes from Elminster, who we've spoken about before. He, he wrote a series of books called Elminster Ecologies, I think, that were from uh, the th- third edition or 3.5 that was where a lot of the lore came from for our treants but what's curious about this what I really enjoy about it is that they take a bargain seriously and I know for a fact that it'll be covered in one of the future episodes on on these hags but if someone does them a favor somehow knows they need something and want something and they do it without being asked that hag to a degree must feel indebted Uh, and I know for a fact we'll cover debts uh, in one of the episodes I'm doing, but I thought I, I just thought it was kind of cool. They will audit, they will return the favor unexpectedly and usually with haste. Yeah, that's so you can't hold it above them. Yeah, I, that, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Uh, Elminster's he's a he's a good author. What a guy. He's got good work. Yeah. So should we break into the mechanics? We should, not but not before here. I break into this blackmail stash. Oh no. Um, which I can actually strangely and. Quickly, it's been pre- it's pretty a short amount of time. Listen here, fellows. Uh, listen here, our strange fellow listeners. Um, it probably helps that I work in hospitality, or we both work in hospitality. But I uh, know a couple of the reps at Strange Fellows uh, Brewing uh, relatively well, and I spoke to one of them and told them we were plugging them, and she was graceful enough to. Grant us some free cans. So I think we could kind of technically say we are sponsored by Strange Fellows Blackmail Stout. This week's episode is actually sponsored by Strange Fellows Blackmail Stout. How about that, listeners? Dreams do come true. (laughs) A shout out to Zoe Kirkham for supplying these cans just for Haguary. All you folks at Strange Fellows, you're doing doing great work. Amazing. Keep keep it up. This is going to be the greatest first sip ever. So bubbly. (coughs) 
shouldn't have done it that way. <coughs> All right. <clears throat> Tell me about sea hag mechanics. All right. There, there's not a lot here. Sea hags are, they're a CR2 creature. They have 14 natural AC and they have uh, 52 hit points. They're hands down the weakest of all hags by what I would imagine is a long shot, but it's been a while since I've looked at green hags. They are a fey creature, as we covered earlier, and they are chaotic evil. Mm -hmm. So one of my favorite parts about researching hags was seeing all the different languages that they speak. Yeah, I they, that too. They each seem to speak a different collection of languages. So uh, common and giant seem to be the two um, ones that flow through all the hags. Mm -hmm. And uh, sea hags speak aquan, which is the... Uh, elemental water language yeah, which makes sense more or less yeah absolutely uh, and they have the trait amphibious so they can breathe air and water so to get back to them being the ugliest of all hags they have an ability called horrific appearance so within 30 feet of the hag and you can see its true form it is a dc 11 wisdom save or frightened for one minute repeat the save at the end of the turn immune for 24 hours unless it's surprised a target can avert their eyes to avoid the initial save but has disadvantage on attack rolls now this is a mechanic that is seen all over the place it's it's a medusa mechanic it's it's anything that's that's essentially uh, visual i like how this ties into that initial lore that these guys are just fucking horrifying mm -hmm. and obviously a dc11 is a hot garbage saving roll yeah but uh <laughs> Like, Frightens is not that bad. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, pump that up, wizards. Well, anyway, uh, CR2. CR2. Yeah, that's true. You know, this is in, uh, as much as these creatures are extraordinarily evil and have the potential to be extremely powerful, they are, uh, Sea Hag especially is an intro to them. For intro. sure. But that's still a 65% success rate with nothing, like with, mm -hmm. with a wisdom of 10. Right. Like, yeah, that's. Yeah. I personally believe anything under DC 12 isn't worth anybody rolling for. <laughs> It's a courtesy roll. <laughs> it is kind of a courtesy roll. It's yeah. it seems like a wasted mechanic. Anyway, uh, they have one attack, which is their claws. It's two d six. They have a death glare, which is kind of cool. Uh, it also frightens the creature mm -hmm. uh, within thirty feet. DC eleven wisdom save. Uh, and oh, oh shit! This is way more intense than I thought it was. Uh, it's been a long time since I've read this. Uh, the target frightens the creature within 30 feet dc 11 wisdom save or the creature drops to zero hp no i th i think you wrote that because it will end if they drop to zero hp no 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 really yeah it whoa. is whoa yeah that's big yeah this the, i remember this one blowing my <laughs> whole, fucking whole mind death glare i guess it's in the name isn't it yeah so this is actually a, this is another thing that's kind of a holdover from an earlier edition i'm gonna quickly flip through my book and you're gonna hear it Oh, yeah. Oh, those are those crisp pages. Mm. Oh, the flow, the glossiness, the luster. <laughs> Delicious. Yeah, so I'm going to read this verbatim. The hag targets one frightened creature she can see within 30 feet of her. If the target can see the hag, it must succeed a DC 11 wisdom saving throw against this magic or drop to zero hit points. So it's a stacking thing. The horrific appearance first has to affect the target. They have to be frightened. And then if they are frightened, they have to make a second saving throw or drop to zero hit point. Glare. No, no. The horrific appearance is, is, a, is an AOE. So it's an area effect. The death glare is an attack. But death glare says targets a frightened creature. Oh, targets one frightened creature. Yes. So the target has to, to be frightened. Frightened first. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. That, which makes sense. It's a bit of a mitigating factor, so it's not too powerful. But that's still, that's huge. Yeah, that's intense. That's a big one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I guess, yeah, zero HP. Uh, you have to start rolling death saving throws? No. no you, uh, well, it, I don't think you do. You just fall unconscious. I think you just fall unconscious. I mean, I would make you start rolling death saving throws mm -hmm. because it's called death glare. Sure. Okay. Um, but I, I rules is written. I don't think you would normally have to. Normally at zero HP, you're stabilized. Yeah. Um, but I'm a terrible person. <laughs> He's out to get us. Yeah, I, yeah. I am. I really, really am. Uh, it's tough to kill us, man. Yeah. The next ability is called Illusory Appearance, which is essentially a monster version of Disguise Self. Um, but I really do how, love how this creature is just wrapped up in fear and, and ugliness. And it's it, yeah. it, all the lore, again, is really well reflected in the mechanics. We mm -hmm. don't see that every time, but the more we do the show, the more I really feel like we're seeing that first initial lore is backed up in the mechanics. And there's not a whole lot of 
chill gaze happening in most of these creatures. They, don't, they can't speak Getty. You would not believe how many people we've had right in and and just just either try and justify chill gaze or tell me how much they love how angry that made me. So they're they're waiting for the next one. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I remember reading something around the sea hags too. Is one of my favorite things. Like, there's a common theme amongst all the hags that we'll we'll find as we go that they love to bring people down, right? Like they love, like you said earlier, where there's happiness, they want despair. Where there's courage, they want fear. And that's like each hag sort of has those certain ones, and they're just different descriptors. They're just different synonyms for the same thing across the board. But one of my favorite things that they all do, kind of, I think, hate. Uh, beauty and 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 good natures of any kind, but sea hags specifically hate physical beauty. Yes, I, and I, again, that's I think that's where it's wrapped up in them being the ugliest. Not even maybe just the ugliest physically, but ugliest like um, uh, maybe on a personality level in in nature. They have an ugly, ugly nature. And one the thing that I loved is that they don't want to destroy beauty. They want to turn it ugly. Yeah. It's a very different thing. They see a statue, they want to deface it. They see art, they want to lather blood or something on it to like make it look ugly they want to you know actually deform what's in front of them they will scar themselves repeatedly as well as their victims to make them I, I, if i remember correctly i even read too or maybe as i was writing expositions i imagined it this way but i imagine a lot of their victims would be uh purposely beautiful ones so that they could have the opportunity to destroy that beauty yeah or to to deface it i think you're actually touching on the underlying theme behind all hags even though sea hags is is easily the 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 least uh, the one you have to reach the least for because sure. it is very much physical, yeah, tangible beauty. Mm-hmm. But I think all the hags there there's nothing that I've read so far I've come across that say hags want to destroy. Right. They want to torment. They yeah, want yeah, to yeah. crumble. Yeah. They want to change and make you more into them. They want to witness the downfall. Yeah, there, there's no physical destruction. They want <laughs> yeah, they want to yeah. emotionally yeah. cripple you. Mm-hmm. They want to destroy your life. But there, there's no like physical destruction. Different kind of evil, isn't it? Yeah, it God really damn. is. And I, th- I think that's the worst kind of evil, probably. <laughs> very, very much debatably agreed. <laughs> also a great sentence by Freeman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just follow those. Just 100% <laughs> contradictions. Yeah. Start to finish. Uh, all right, so what's next? Uh, layers and regional effects. We're going to hit on some general stuff uh, and then get into the sea hag specific stuff. Okay, so what's a, what's a layer? Give me a breakdown of what a layer is so just in general. A layer is where a sea hag lives. It's usually a manifestation of their particular ugliness mm-hmm. um, and usually incorporates an element of decay. So a sea hag would be like a sunken ship or a destroyed coral reef or a, a toxic polluted harbor. Mm-hmm. Uh, they tend to be in a location that is near to the Feywilds. It makes it easier for them to bargain with creatures from both worlds. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, maybe there's a part in the ocean that's particularly magical, and that's, you know, an yeah. entrance to the Feywilds. They would they would traditionally make camp there. Sure. They're also always near a civilization so they can attract mortal visitors. They want, they want both sides of the coin there. Yeah. I wonder if, as a result... Uh, Elves encounter hags more than any other race because they might want to be close to the fate of something that's stuck, uh, where the barrier between the mortal world and, and the material plane and the fey wild is a bit weaker. Would they be drawn to that as well? Do you think? I think humans would probably be their targets. Mm-hmm. Humans tend to have le- weaker morale than elves. Sure. Um, I think elves mechanically get a wisdom boat. Problem. Bump, don't they? Uh, yeah, I'm not saying uh, targeted, just interact more with or oh. more likely to encounter because of like maybe geographical location. Yeah, maybe. Um, I, I don't remember it being specifically human, but you know, they. I, I think the longer lifespan of an elf would, would more intimidate mm-hmm. a hag than something like a mortal. They don't want they don't want anything that could potentially outlive them. They want they want something that they can see from the beginning to its peak to its rock bottom right. to its death kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I I I like that idea. Mm-hmm. I think at least in my world, elves don't tend to be drawn to the Feywild. They're like I have, I have Scottish blood in me. I'm not drawn to Scotland. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, not that that has anything to do with this fantasy game that we're imagining we're playing. Yeah. Um, but their layers are also cluttered with shit and treasure, and mm-hmm. the treasure tends to be buried within that shit. Uh, they always, always have two or three escape plans to get out of their lair, which is another reason I think they're virtually immortal. Mm-hmm. 
They and have, again, like you said earlier, they don't they don't come up to you in straight combat. Like nope. that's not on their agenda at all. They're they, everything's a plan. Everything's yep. a bargain and a plan. Exactly. Uh, and a grandmother's lair usually is given lair actions or really whenever you feel like it, specific time of year, completion of a coven, and any other bullshit reason mm-hmm. you can think of to give them more power. Yeah. Uh, they also tend to affect the region that they settle in. So generally, birds, rodents, snakes, spiders, toads, and other appropriate creatures are found in abundance in this area. Intelligence two or lower beasts are usually charmed by the hag and hostile, okay. which could be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this this point is just dumb. Um, <laughs> figurines, twig fetishes, or rag dolls just magically appear in trees. <coughs> I, I, sorry. <coughs> um, I remember reading this like maybe a week ago when I was quickly scanning through your notes and then I was also doing my own notes and was like double checking some of the general lore and stuff. And I also was like, this is a general thing you get in the lair. So it doesn't make any sense. No, like if this was all green have their or own anise, things. Yeah. Like, but like, yeah. You know, I just a fucking ragdoll magically appears on a dock. Like that's that, so that that is very obviously just, but like it's like you said earlier, they, it's before was the coast realized they were going to flesh them out further. This was just like no, let's, this is in Volos. This is in Volos. Yeah, regional effects are oh, in Volos. Right. Yeah, they knew what was happening well, and they still wrote stupider. that sentence under general. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I mean, I, I like the, the the general idea that unsettling things would appear in the trees yeah. but just just make them figurines twig fetishes and rag dolls like, like those are make them specific to the what that creature or is don't yeah. like, don't give examples <laughs> like, or just don't give bad examples yeah you drop the ball on that one wizards yeah i mean honestly re- the more i read through the hag section of bulls got into the monsters i i think in burr hags i actually have a note that says somehow they stretch this bu- this one sentence out to a full fucking paragraph like <laughs> it is it is some of it is wordy for the sake of being wordy. oh yeah okay um, uh, We're getting paid by the letter, boys. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes it feels like it. Uh, but within a mile of the sea hags lair, uh, surfaces are usually covered by a slippery and sticky slime. Currents and tides are very, very strong, and piloting a ship has disadvantage. So they added a mechanic there, which I thought was kind of cool. Okay. Uh, shores are filled with dead fish, and handling a dead fish can cause it to speak with the hag's voice. Oh, that is weird. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, they've turned from dark to a bit comical in this in the last few sentences. I don't. Uh, I'm gonna <laughs> imagine be, picking a fish and it's like, I'm a sea hag. <laughs> so the, those, what pages are they? They're um, the first pages that we quoted in Volos, uh, 52 to 62. I don't really love most of that information. Um, like even even the suggested layer actions for a sea hag. So the DC for a sea hag is the same as the hags. Sorry, the DC for a lair action is the same as the hag's highest. Mm-hmm. So that means if a sea hag has lair actions, their DC for said lair actions is still just 11. Right. So on the initiative count of 20, uh, they can fill up to four 10-foot cubes of water with ink that are heavily obscured, which the hag ignores. They can cast s- simulacrum on one humanoid. I've always, that is f- I've always wondered how to say that word. <laughs> simulacrum? Simulacrum, yeah. I, I believe. Uh, that is formed out of detritus and acts until it is destroyed at the initiative count of 20 of the next round. So this only lasts for one round. Okay. Granted, Simulacrum is a 7th level illusion, a spell that creates a duplicate of any creature without gear and only half the max HP, but it's okay. still... Yeah. Like, I just think those are garbage lair actions. Like, well, I feel like they just kind of... So here's the thing about lair actions that I kind of got the idea from, is that because is uh, lair actions aren't... Uh, hag specific by any means, right? Mm. Lair actions, uh, beholders have them... Um, dragons have them. Dragons have anything them. with like a uh, unicorns layer. have them, yep. right? And um, when it comes to the lair uh, and their and the actions, I think uh, a lot of time at first, anyway, for me, I always imagined these were things they would use in combat when fighting them. But no, these are things that happen as you approach, as you are investigating the lair. They happen around you. They have the ability. There is a there is some some information there, like uh, surrounding the the lairs, where as when you're in the lair, any of the hags can pass through walls freely yeah. and uh, whatnot. So these lair actions actually specifically happen on the initiative count of twenty. Uh, most lair actions happen on the initiative count of okay. twenty. There's stuff that happens in the lair specifically, which I think I have somewhere else. Maybe I didn't write it down. Um, the abilities that they get, like you said, travel through walls and that right, kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, 
but these are these are combat actions. Right. Well, here here's the thing there too is I, I feel like uh, with the layer actions, um, the initial count twenty is is listed. Uh, for the eventuality that they could be used in combat. Not necessarily they have to be. You know what I mean? Like imagine, say that, take that first one for example. You're not necessarily, especially at level two, uh, you're not necessarily going to be fighting the Sea Hag underwater. So the heavily obscured part is kind of redundant. Um, but if you are for, maybe you have to d dive in and swim under something or through a tunnel to get them uh, get to the sea hag or, or make your way through its lair it then uses that that ability not an initiative count but you know just in general for flavor as the dm these are suggestions for the, the yeah. use. and then you maybe have to roll a, a survival check to navigate your way through these heavily obscured waters but mechanically we're getting into homebrew at that point because these are specific in combat on the initiative count of 20 sure yeah like i don't i don't mind using them outside of mm -hmm. combat i just think these specifically, I've seen some good layer actions and I've seen some bad ones. And so far, all of the hag ones, I think, are just... Hot garbage? I uh, I honestly don't eat... Like, they don't... I hate saying this, but it doesn't feel like they really tried. Okay. Like, they're just not it's good half to me. They yeah. do really seem a, a bit half-assed. Sure. Like, like you said, four 10-foot cubes of water are heavily obscured. The hag can ignore, like... Mm -hmm. That's great in combat. You know, you, you create a little bit. You 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 are changing the battlefield. Yeah. Casting a seventh level spell for one round mm -hmm. without any gear, half health, which you know those are out of the out of the spell itself. But mm -hmm. one round, an unarmed strike at second level is probably only going to be one attack. What good is that really going to do? Like an unarmed strike is what one damage. <laughs> I mean, technically, yeah, one plus like plus, that's that's uh, all flavor to me. Mod, yeah, <laughs> like what the f like yeah. a meat well, shield? Like yeah. just just give the hag like an octopus or some shit. It will be better than this single layer action. Just it, allowing them access to, to a single <laughs> one eighth marrow to make this even worse for you. It's that uh, layer actions are are suggested as you've you've listed yeah. here, right? And it's uh, specifically Volo's guide says that layer actions are usually only available to grandmothers yeah and when we're talking grandmothers we, we're talking we were talking they don't have to be to the level of the arch fey in power but we are we ha touched on how long they have to live and how powerful they have to become so we are talking about a homebrewed uh cr and challenger yeah. for uh for these hags so this I, is not a level two hag that's using layer actions unless no. you want to unless you want to it's it really is up to you but in general, they suggest that it is for the more powerful ones. And so even like say the sea hags like a CR twelve, and they're still only just doing ink in the water. <laughs> I think I think you're right. It's like it's a bit uh, it's a bit half assed. Yeah, let, let me find sea hags again. <laughs> okay. Um, listen to that sound. Oh man, you can hear my tabs flowing in the wind. <laughs> Yet somehow I didn't tag Habs like a tab. Somehow I didn't tab hags like a goddamn grown-up Didn't tag abs? Didn't tag abs. Uh, okay, so if if I were going to create a grandmother sea hag, the easiest way I think to do this would be to give them the uh, coven's shit. Like, just don't include a coven, but just mm -hmm. give them the coven spells mm -hmm. and then increase that CR. Which, by the way, we will be covering covens in the next episode. Yeah. So a sea hag member of a coven is still only a CR4 right. creature. Oh, CR4, that's right, yeah. <laughs> get your shit together there is there is uh i mean there's well I, uh, just give the sea later on we will also cover something called weird magic and they are very they give you a couple of minor examples but they are so non-specific in that lore of what it can do i wrote weird magic today did you yeah, yeah. Uh, I've employed some weird magic in the background of uh of the expositions uh through this whole suite but um I think weird magic is probably one of the coolest parts. Yeah. But it's, uh, and I think layer actions and regional effects have the potential to be one of the coolest parts. So, but I just think it through. Yeah. My biggest recommendation today is like just have the most fun with it. Get crazy. Take inspiration from the real dark sides of these creatures and, and yeah, maybe use the, the suggested layer actions and whatnot and regional effects that are there as inspiration. Uh, For sure. Like you know, if, if it were me, I would give them an octopus. A creature with the stats of a regular octopus mm -hmm. and make it a cuttlefish. 
Okay. Right? Yeah. And then give them the invisibility spell. Because <laughs> Cuttlefish can just cast invisibility yeah. on right. itself yeah. at will. That'd be amazing. And then that would be, like, just yeah. fuck these lair actions. Okay, now we're getting into homebrew. But yeah, their lair actions, it's just this sweet little cuttlefish that flies around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look up um, cuttlefish. Not only are they delicious, they're super interesting. Yeah, they're wicked. Cuttlefish are amazing. Everything yeah. about them. They're like 100%. goats. They're just delightful and delicious. Uh, so, I mean, the lair actions for a sea hag, there's only the two of them, right? It's the yeah. simulacrum. Simulacrum. So simulacrum and the ten foot cube uh, water and ink. Uh, we will forty foot cube. Forty foot cube. Sorry, uh, uh, four inky, ten foot cubes. Inky water. Um, but what we will, uh, which I think is really exciting, but the difference in format and this is that we are going to sort of avoid our usual discussion of experiences and and homebrew at the end of each episode, and we're going to save them to the end of the last episode. Uh, and kind of review them for each hag that we've talked about so far and kind of just bulk it together and kind of go through the different steps. We'll, t- we'll talk about the, uh, the layer actions and the regional effects we, we would like to see, uh, the weird magic and the changes to covens and that sort of thing. We'll just group it all together and go, go hag by hag. That's going to be a long section. Yeah. I got a lot to say on homebrew. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> all right, listeners. I think that's going to do it for sea hags. We will have this recorded by the time you listen to it. So if you haven't gotten at us at Twitter. I'm sorry, what? We'll have it recorded by the time you listen to it? Yeah, I was going to say the next episode. Oh. <laughs> so we'll we'll definitely have Green, Anise, Burr. We're going to say Burr for, oh, yeah. for the purposes of this episode. Yeah. Uh, and, and Night Hags all recorded by the time you listen to this. Mm. So I think our next scheduled episode is Rakshasa. I'm probably not pronouncing that right, but uh, I'll work on that I as we go. I think it is Rakshasa. Actually, Jason Wiseman just covered it as the Creature of the Week on Myths and Legends last oh, week. Cool. So I'll re-listen to that. But that's going to be our next episode, so hit us up on Twitter for that. Uh, that will be released the second week of February, and we have been at Encounter... Our next usual Our next format. regular, our regular scheduled format episode. episode. Yeah, so this will be five weeks of hags. You're going to get see this week, green next week, then Anis followed by Burr, and we're going to cap it all off with Night Hags and Homebrew, and I think Homebrew might end up just being its own episode. We might have to do another bonus episode. (laughs) Uh, That's fine. So stay tuned uh, for Rakshasas in January, and send us any stories you got about them. Hit us up on Twitter at EncounterPod. If you're feeling generous and you want to throw your money away, feel free to donate to us at patreon.com slash encounterthis. Please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe. Um, At least the rate and the review part, that really helps us with placement on the iTunes store, and uh, whatever whatever platform you're listening to this on is fantastic. For the love of God, let us beat Encounter. Yes, there, <laughs> there is a pod. There, no, we're no, no we're just, not touching no, it. No, we're we're good. We want to be more popular. Yeah, just like make us the most impo- <laughs> most popular Encounter podcast. Uh, but share it with a friend. Tell tell somebody you like. Tell somebody who likes D anD D. Tell somebody who doesn't like D anD D. Tell your mother. Tell your mother. Um, I don't think my mom listens to it, but my dad does, and he says hi. So uh, call 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 up that that aunt that you really dislike and tell her that you found a podcast that's all about her. Oh. <laughs> Do you mean? We can cut that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, thanks again for listening, creatures. And we will see you next week with green hags. Green hags. Can't Stay wait. Stay classy and avoid a good deal. Posey! Over here, Posey! Harry calls out with a gleeful wave and a broad smile. Fumbling with his hammer, nails in one hand, and several posters under the same arm, he drops every bit of it. Meanwhile, his free and waving hand frantically reaches for the nearby bunting for support, and his muscular build inevitably proves too much for homemade twine. Clumsily falling flat on his back, a handful of local volunteers bursts into the laughter, pointing fingers at a now windless Harry. This sort of grace, or rather lack thereof, is pretty typical of Harold Holler, if a tad embarrassing for a sturdy sailor, and it never ceased to amuse. Posey rushes over, stifling her own fit of giggles, and helps him to his feet. As she does so, she catches out of the corner of her eye a sneering Reginald Craycatcher. She was not alone, as the laughter all around audibly subsided. One would think Reg was upset from the now obvious setback and decorating for his daughter's birthday, but the mayor's crankiness knew no bounds, and his concern for Emmy Craycatcher was likely on par with his concern for the cuts and bruises shared by her and his own knuckles, which is to say, no concern at all. 
Ren, you start awake. Cold sweat sweeping into your battle-worn garb. Ren, you find yourself frantically looking around, trying to regain your bearings, only to find yourself waking from a nightmare into nothing less than a waking nightmare. Posey sits across the campfire from you. Once an innocent young woman, now a hardened battle maiden. She gives you a solemn look of pure and unabashed understanding. No words need be spoken. You quickly sort through your own confusion. Ever since Posey admitted that she too saw Harry in the peripheries of this God's forsaken place, you've felt reassurance and terror at war inside of you. In the end, it's no wonder you dreamt of that particular moment, though such stark detail in a dreamlike retelling causes you to shudder. As a bard, you were all too familiar with hyperbole and sensationalism, but over the years you've learned that the detailed and harsh truth is what truly rattles one's bones. You were once thankful that memory could never really be as clear as the pristine waters of Craycatcher's bounty. Now, memory and dreams are masterwork paintings of macabre making. Morbid, moving pictures, immaculately made by the most prestigious of map makers. And true to recent form, as you let your thoughts meander, they pick a path of their own, and you can't help but recall the remainder of that day. It was altogether mundane for the most part. Harry's tumble was a delightful highlight, Reginald scowling a sobering moment. But work was to be done so that celebration could be had, and you carried on with your decorative duties, topping off the day's labors with this mug of stiff scallop wine. By the end of your first mug, however, a commotion arose from beyond the tavern door, replete with screams of terror. You ran out to the town center and faced a truly horrifying scene. Two enormous snakes snapped and hissed at everyone emerging from the nearby buildings. Beyond them knelt what appeared to be an elderly woman dressed in a dark brown robe. Hood covering most of her features, you were still sure it was Auntie Mudgums, the local hermit. As if her presence and giant snakes weren't strange enough, two grotesque creatures you had never before seen flanked them their hair seemingly made of seaweed, their skin a pallid blue, their bodies crooked, scarred, and emaciated. And at the side of one was Emmy Twiggy Craycatcher, gripped by the scruff of her neck, and her father cowering in fear, crying enough tears to keep the morning tied in. Behind you, Posey and Harry emerged from the tavern with a loud gasp and a stunned grunt. You reached your hand to the bag of holding at your side, and one at a time, drew two short swords, handing one to each of them. They blinked at you, jaws agape, with equal measures of disbelief. The stare you sent back, however, changed their expressions to that of encouragement and inspiration. They may not have known it, but you had done this before. You turned back to the menagerie of obvious evil, drawing the rapier tucked into your sash. You spoke loud enough for only you and your new companions to hear. Leave the serpents to me. Save the child. Fear has no power over us. Roll for initiative. 